weird. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's like really polite, but like in a way that is not what I'm used to. So like they really talk to you. Like when they ask you how your day is. Like they care. They really mean it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll tell you how their day Uh is and they'll tell you all about the thing you're buying at the store. And, you know, like they're not just going to like... Oh my god, the people at Walgreens know me, you know, like they're <laughs> it's it's awkward. A lot of it's probably just a sense of they have time to do stuff, you know, that they're not constantly running from one yeah. place to the next. So they yeah. actually like It's can... very relaxed for the yeah. most part. Yeah, which I'm not used to cuz I'm always like, why are you walking so slow? Like get out of my way. Why why is this happening? Get out of the way. Like no one wants to get out of the way. Everyone's in the middle of everything. Yeah. But it is nice because everything's like really easy. Like when I got here, on Friday or whatever, uh, just getting from the airport to where I was staying was a nightmare. I went on the wrong train, like, and I've lived here, I lived here for 36 years, <laughs> <laughs> and I got on the wrong train, and, uh, yeah, I was just like, man, Portland is so easy, because when I get out at the airport in Portland, I'm home in 20 minutes on the train, like, yeah. I just get on one train, goes to my house and I get out and I'm in my house like it's so easy do you feel like Portland's ruining you I mean do you get the feeling like are are you like I'm getting soft like this is yes I have been accused of getting soft (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because I like won't just jump into the street as quickly like I still will but like when I'm crossing the street like I won't just run into the street and like run across like I'll like wait a second you know, and like look left and look right, because in Portland apparently um, it's a thing. Like you, they will really ticket you for yeah. jaywalking. So I'm slightly more careful there. I like that 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 our idea of getting soft is not running into oncoming traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the New York way. Yeah, we don't care about our lives, <laughs> or we just expect that we'll be respected by all vehicles. Like I'm from California originally, which where jaywalking is is less of a thing. And I remember jaywalking in front of a cop for the first time. Here or here? Like, oh, okay. They yeah. just don't. They just... just don't care. Actually, yesterday jaywalked with yeah. a cop. We walked through traffic. Usually, yeah. I mean, in the '90s, they cared a lot, yeah. but that was a brief period of time. I mean, not the '90s, but the time in which they cared about jaywalking. Yeah. It was like right as Giuliani became mayor, he was like, "No jaywalking," and they like literally put i remember they had uh police lines up and down the blocks just to keep you from going out in the middle yeah like just and they would give tickets out like you know left and right for a while when he was first mayor so he was like we're gonna get rid of the homeless we're gonna get rid of the porn in Times square and we're gonna get rid of jaywalking (laughs) yeah it was all like um quality of life stuff that he was really focused on and it was really annoying yeah as a teenager were you ready to leave new york uh i don't i don't know um, I don't know. I mean, I went because I kind of have always wanted to live in Portland because I started visiting like 10 years ago yeah. and I liked it a lot 10 years ago. It's a totally different city now, but, uh, at that time I remember being like, oh, I would love to live in Portland, but I can't because X, Y, Z. And then when this job came up, uh, and I got it, I was like, oh wow, I can live in Portland. Like for real. And like, I don't have the X, Y, and Z that I had before that were keeping me here. So... I can go, you know, so it wasn't really like, I don't know, like I, I might not be there forever, but, uh, it's definitely like a nice break and, you know, New York, just like Portland, New York isn't what it used to be either. So it's kind of like none of the stuff that I grew up with or very little of it anyways, still here, you know, a lot of the people I grew up with are gone. They all moved away, you know? 
obviously everybody who is not from here who's been here for long enough starts to get that, that wanderlust after a while everyone <laughs> yeah. sort of like has those conversations every time i go to a city i, I consider it <laughs> yeah. uh, and i just wonder if it's the same if, if it's the same kind of pull if you're actually from here or maybe it's even more intense i mean I wanted to get away with, from the city that I was from as quickly as possible, but that's because yeah. I was from the suburbs. I did feel that when I was in high school. I strongly wanted to go away for college um, because I had, I don't know, I just feel like my high school years were so full of drama and I just wanted to get away from it. So I ended up going to school in Boston for my first year of college because I naively assumed that every city was the same. <laughs> okay. What, what, and <laughs> like what? I thought everything was like New York. If you go to a city, yeah. it's just like New York. It's yeah. going to be the same. <laughs> like. I was so naive. I didn't realize that I was there for a year in Boston. I was like, "What was like the big? What was the big sucks. culture clash in Boston?" Everything. Just everything was terrible. I mean, the I went to school near Fenway Park. Uh huh. And it was oh yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. I was in Boston not too long ago, and I stayed right next to a was it TD Garden or TD whatever they call it, where the uh, where the Celtics play. Oh, I don't know. It's just a just a nightmare. Like just as the <laughs> Boston sure. sports fans trickle out. Yeah, we um, our school was right by Fenway Park, and my dorm was in a row of dorms that were all like fraternities. Yeah. So it was like art school kids in one building, yeah. and like six buildings full of fraternities. Is what I remember it being anyway. We're, like we were on some Commonwealth Avenue, Com Ave. Uh, yeah, we were. In a row of, yeah, I definitely remember frats and like it was just bad. It was like, ugh, I lived in this terrible basement with three other people in one room. Like we had ants. It was, it was just the worst. The accents, everything. <laughs> so accents aside, like, like the rest of what you describe, or at least like the basement part is you're describing everybody's first couple of years in New York. I guess. <laughs> But I didn't have that experience yeah. in New York. Like, I lived in a nice bedroom. You know, when I moved back, I lived with my mom and stepdad for a year. And, like, you know, it was nice. I had my own bedroom. And I lived on 18th Street and 1st Avenue. It was yeah. perfect. So, I don't know. Boston, I just... Also, like, everything closed at that time anyway. Like, everything closed at, like, 11. You couldn't just hail a cab. You had, like, no a phone number of a cab company. Yeah. And also, like, that was before cell phones were, like, a big... Like, that was, like, 1997. And Uber and... There was nothing like yeah. that. Yeah, like, and I I just was like, I don't want to go out because then I'm going to have to, like, figure out how to get back. And, like, there's no subway and the cabs are just mysterious. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I could see that. I mean, I you know, I, I go to Boston every so often and, and I'm, I'm there for maybe, like, three or four days tops. And I really like it. But I could see every yeah. aspect of it grading on I like after visiting. a while. I like visiting. Like, I've been there since then and, like, I love the aquarium and, like, I like... I like visiting, but it felt like when I lived there, it felt like a fake city. Like it felt like the walls weren't real. Like hmm. it just felt like, I don't know, it's weird. Uh, like a like a set for a city in a movie, you know, like it's just little, yeah. like cute little version of a city. It's funny, though, that you because you you grew up here and you, you went to like junior high and high school here that you felt like you needed to get away. But it's like New York. So you could easily <laughs> live in the same city and not ever run into those people or rarely. <laughs> That's not true at all. Like, you I, still enjoy the same things. I that guess you subcultures, before, yeah, subcultures you're are really see the same people. That's fair, you know. And like, yeah, yeah it's really funny. It's really funny also because um, then what happened? What ended up happening was I think a lot of people that I used to know, we sort of all ended up in the same cities anyway, even yeah. the people that moved. Um, so, like a friend of mine who lives in Seattle, she just was in a lift with, and the driver was a guy that we all knew huh. in the '90s, yeah, like who gave out flyers on St. Mark's Place. 
Like, they're both in Seattle now. Yeah. Like, it's so weird. Like, everyone just ends up in the same place anyway, you know? Seattle's the same sort of thing now because, you know, like Amazon's out there, yeah. Microsoft's yeah. out there, and everyone, like, I feel like we're running out of cities to move to at this point. Yeah, it's so messed up. I feel like, I don't know, I feel sad for all those cities who are, I mean, even though I'm in tech, I feel, like, sad yeah. for the cities that are being overrun by tech like san francisco and seattle even and like portland to a tiny extent portland has a lot of other problems but um yeah because it's like i live here in new new york like until i was 36 i lived here and uh i watched a city change and of course all cities change but i watched it become more like i don't know if commodified is the right word but like more chains less local flavor like more like Dwayne Wendy's Reeds and, and Dwayne Reed's and, yeah. and banks. And yeah, it's like, oh, the Greek pastry shop is now a Time Warner cable service store. You know, it's the like. The pool hall that I loved as a kid is now 7 <laughs> Eleven. <laughs> Basically. <No. laughs> yeah. And 7 Eleven wasn't a thing when I was a kid. <laughs> it's true. That is a recent, that is a relatively recent occurrence in this city. Like, I had a bunch of friends in high school who yeah. lived in the suburbs, and I would go to the suburbs to hang out with them, and I'd be like, oh my God, guys, we have to go to 7 Eleven. And they'd be like, why isn't that like a isn't that that's such a weird thing though you know like when you're from like the fact that you're from new york and that you could get you know theoretically anything you want at any time of night and then not a slurpee that's okay it wasn't a thing that was the i really wanted it okay (laughs) but you you sort of everything else yeah but but you kind of you kind of see like the noose tightening a little bit around portland uh yeah because i did i mean i did i was able to visit portland several times over the last 10 years um so I was able to see what a lot of people who are new to Portland haven't seen because um, they've just like seen Portlandia and they've yeah. heard, you know, oh, Portland's a new cool place, whatever. Um, so I did get a taste of how different it was. Um, and, you know, like the the big joke is like the Portlandia theme song, the dream of the 90s yeah, is yeah, alive yeah. in Portland. Um, but Portland really reminds me of New York in the 90s, which yeah. is kind of funny because it's like being gentrified at a weird rate yeah. and like in straight in like you see the same kind of, uh, you know, more chains and things coming up that, like, in the 90s was something I observed as a kid, like, uh, you know, apartments start to be not as affordable, you know. And Portland has sort of a scuzzy underbelly, but it's really different than the one that New York has. Yes. Like, they've got a really weird, seedy history. They do, yeah, and a very uh, racist history also, Mm. Um, (laughs) which is available on the internet, easily Googleable, but... Yeah, it's definitely well. The thing about Portland also is that um, Portland is a very is known to be very friendly compared to other cities mm-hmm. anyway, to uh, homeless people and you know people with drug addictions and stuff like that, and people with mental illness who are in the street. You yeah. know, so I mean it's good in some ways. Like uh, we have, it's legal to camp in the street. It's legal to camp under a like a highway overpass or whatever mm-hmm. underpass. I don't know what they're called. I don't drive. <laughs> but you know you see people campsites yeah, like yeah. all over the city and it's because like they're allowed to do that which is good in some ways but it would be nice if you know maybe we took better care of those people you know it's like it's like a half and half yeah year. and it's and it's i mean similar it's similar to california that the weather is nice it's so that's where off. you would want to go if yeah. you were homeless but i mean san francisco i don't know the last time you went to san francisco but if you really yeah if you yeah. really want to look at the culture clash of the yeah, really Francisco rich and the really rough. poor San Francisco is probably a pretty good template for what Portland could become. Yeah, I know. I have enough friends in the Bay Area, yeah. so uh, like I know about it, um, although I haven't – I don't 
enjoy being in San Francisco, so I don't go there. <laughs> but uh, I hear about it. You'll be outside a really nice mall, and there'll be somebody shitting in the street. Like yeah. that's a really common. Yeah, definitely. Currency. I think the culture clash seems to be much stronger there. Than, yeah. Than in Portland, for but sure. it's got you know it's got a twenty year head start of Portland. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. There, yeah. There's no Portlandia for San Francisco, but San Francisco was San Francisco, yeah. so it didn't need a show. <laughs> yeah. Was tech, was that something that you were interested in prior to making this move, or did the two things just kind of coincide? I had a friend uh, in, like, the early 2000s when I was still, like, drawing comics yeah. and, like, whatever, um, and he did some sort of, like, programming, and I knew he, like, I didn't know a lot about it, but I knew he, like, worked from home by himself mm-hmm. uh, and make made a bunch of money so i was like that sounds like a great sounds like job. comics except with money like with money yeah, yeah which sounds great <laughs> you know that sounds like a great job yeah. i love it how do i sign up and at the time it like wasn't really a thing you could just learn easily and everyone i would ask would be like oh i just learned you know yeah always dudes you know they're always like oh i just learned you yeah. know um, it's sort of the thing where, you know, you think about people who got into it and uh, you think of them as being, you know, like 12 year old hackers, like reading about it in books and figuring it out on their own. Yeah. I didn't really have that. And I didn't know where to start at all. So like I, I got, um, I remember in like 2003, I got like a visual basic for dummies book yep. or something. I had no idea what it did, how it worked or yeah. anything. I just like did a hello world. And then I was like, what do I, what else do I, like, how do I make this into a job? Like. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't apparent that was like at all. Volume two, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, eh, I give, up. I give up. This is like too. I don't know how to do this, you know. Yeah. And no one can help me. So then it turned out years and years later, uh, when I really needed money and insurance and stability, um, I had to, uh, you know, figure out what I was going to do with my life that wasn't comics because that was a path to horrible mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was just like no money no insurance like my life yeah. was miserable I couldn't like sustain myself so I went back to school and I thought like oh you know like I thought about all the stuff I liked as a kid and um I liked you know math and science and mm-hmm. stuff like that so I took a bunch of classes and I thought maybe I wanted to be a veterinarian but then I took biology and I was like this is awful you know I just like hated biology I wasn't good at it and but I took a computer science class and I really liked it like the woman who was teaching us was a phd candidate and she taught us python and like it was awesome and i just like super excelled in it and it was awesome like i just loved it so uh right around then i found out about like that was when like developer boot camps were like somewhat new like 2014 um and i heard about uh the flatiron school which is where i ended up going and i was like that sounds amazing they'll like teach me the shit that i've been wanting to learn for years in three months and just like spit me out into the world and like let me figure it out you know that's cool that's all I want to do so that's what I did and I ended up I just like loved it I just ate it up and you know then uh you know I got a job and then I got another job and now (laughs) this is my second job so was there just sort of a creeping sense for a while that sooner or later the time was going to have to come that you were going to have to just give up on comics and move on on with your life it's it really sucks because um I loved it um it's one of those things where it feels like like when you have a relationship and you're like, I love you, but this is just not going to work. Like yeah. it was like, it was just like that with comics. It was like, I loved it, yeah. but it was killing me. Like I was like working 12 to 14 hours. My yeah. personal relationships suffered a lot and, uh, I wasn't making any money and I had no insurance and I have like chronic health issues and I couldn't do it. You know, like yeah. I, it was, I just couldn't. And it was so 
like heartbreaking for a while that I just couldn't draw anything. Like it was like even though I I had a time like I couldn't like I would start drawing and I'd be like ah you know like I couldn't do it. Like emotionally or physically? yeah yeah like I just couldn't like I don't know just the thought of drawing made me sad because I was like I can't do the thing I want to do so you were just kind of extrapolating this like existential dread from it <laughs> yeah. basically I would yeah. just start and I'd be like ah, you know can't do it so I didn't draw for a long time but then I uh I did a talk last year uh about the rust and ruby programming languages mm-hmm. and um I decided to I pitched it as an illustrated like adventure um comparing the two things it's is the best way I can describe it um so I pitched it so and then it got accepted to a conference so then I had to draw it yeah so like that was my thing it was like well if I say I'm going to do it now I have to do it uh so I did it and then I ended up pitching it to a bunch of other conferences and it got accepted to a bunch of other conferences and so I ended up doing this like basically it's like half comics or mostly comics talk. It's like in comics form. And I've been giving it around. I gave it in New York this Saturday. So That mental block, that inability to actually draw, was that something that came on after you decided you were going to abandon it? or No, that was like how I abandoned it. Was, really? Because I, I was You just woke through... up one morning and you couldn't... No, it was like a slow burn. It was yeah. like I just found I got harder and harder slowly for me to finish things or do things yeah. and the pages that I was drawing I didn't like like it felt like I had to try so hard to get them out that it was because I was very distracted by other problems in my life so I just couldn't I wasn't able to put everything into it that I wanted to and I thought like oh I could just take a six-month break but it ended up being like five years yeah and, <laughs> and I still haven't gone back to like that comic but I'm like drawing things again at least so I haven't gotten back to that comic makes it sound like it's still the possibility is still there. Yeah, like I've always wanted to finish it, but I don't know when that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Because like I have all this other stuff that I'm trying to do with my life and comics is very, very, very labor intensive and time intensive and like focus intensive. Like I used to have to, I can't do it in like drips and drabs. I have to have like a full day. Like yeah. I have to have like a concentrated focus and effort and I don't have like a full day to, you know that I can set aside right now are you able to appreciate what you've done I mean do you, do you feel like you have you accomplished something while you're doing it or is it just the fact that you weren't able to do it for a living I mean is that kind of feel like you failed at it well it's cool because um I was talking with someone else the other day about this about um I was talking to a friend uh, at the conference who also spoke and he was talking about how what it's like to be ruby famous you know like someone who gives a lot of talks and you're like you know known in this ruby community and I was like yeah, you know, like, I used to be, like, indie comics famous. Yeah. You know, like, people knew who I was, and they knew yeah. my work, and, like, it's a great feeling, but, like, you know, and, and I did, I felt successful in that way, but, like, I didn't, like, I didn't even make minimum wage. Like, yeah. it was a very, <laughs> it was very little money. Um, yeah, but that's, you know, that, that was rewarding, but, uh, you know, when you're, like, at that time, I was in my early 30s, and I was like, mm. also, uh, I have a, my dad is an artist, and he's always been an artist, and he always has struggled, so I just kind of was like, I see him in his golden yeah. years, and I'm kind of like, I don't want yeah. that, you know, like, I don't want to be that at all. It's, you know, I don't want to worry about my insurance or my living situation or whatever, you know, so it's better to have security and, for me 
it's better to have security and have a job and I enjoy, which is amazing. Uh, even though I don't get to, I mean, I get to draw stuff now, but uh, not for my job. <laughs> you can draw, obviously. Did you feel like you would be able to parlay that potentially into something else? I mean, it it sounds like there wasn't really a lot of middle ground there. You, I know you were doing some like albums and things at the time. Yeah, like I don't like drawing things for other people. I yeah. hate it. So <laughs> it's funny because like drawing with drawing stuff, like I only like want to draw things that I wrote or yeah. like I think of. I hate doing things for other people and I it doesn't matter how much they pay me like people would pay me money and I'd be like this is not worth it sorry I'm not doing it um but with programming it's like I don't want to do my own thing I want to do your thing you know yeah. you pay me to do your thing and it it's just as satisfying so you know and I get paid so it's great yeah I mean I, I guess I understand that from the standpoint and this is a conversation I have with a lot of people first graduating from college and and kind of trying to figure out what to 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 do with yourself and you have a a thing that you really want to do uh whether you should explore job opportunities that are kind of in the same area as that or go off completely in the wrong direction because you do you do risk i mean you know if you're if you want to be an actor or a director and you know you spend uh 10 years as like a grip i'm sure that that will ruin filmmaking for you yeah so it kind of makes sense that in a way you just it's easier to just go in completely the opposite direction and use a totally different part of your brain. Yes. And when I was growing up, I mean, my grandfather, when I was growing up, was always like, you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be an engineer. Like, he he was an engineer. He was an aeronautic <laughs> engineer. And he hated that I wanted to be an artist, and he really <laughs> pushed up against it. He yeah. hated it. So eventually he came around when I went to college, but my whole life up until then, he was like, you're going to be an engineer. Like, yeah. you're good at math, you're good at science, you like this stuff. Um he, <laughs> he told me like I would get bored as an artist. Like yeah. he's like, you're not gonna flex that side of your brain. Like you're gonna get bored. It's gonna be, you know, you can do art on the side, you know. And I was always like, no, man, you know. Like you're too smart to be an artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically. But but at the same time, I mean, it's also I'm, I'm sure that you know he could see how difficult from the outside it would be. What a hard you know what a hard path it is to pursue. And you talk to a lot yeah. of people who are artists and oftentimes like they don't want that for their kids because they've oh. been through it before. Well, yeah, you'd think my dad would have warned me, but he didn't. Yeah. I didn't I didn't even realize that he like struggled monetarily until I was an adult, so it was like already too late. I was already an artist and I was like, "Oh, wait, he doesn't make any money." Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you and you picked a yeah, and you you picked a like it seems like a particularly difficult part of art. Yeah. Very hard. I I yeah. If I could go back in time, I would change a few things probably about the choices I made as a cartoonist. Like, yeah. I think I should have jumped on the webcomics bandwagon way earlier, you know, stuff like that. Like, I like I think I would have done better if I had done that earlier, but I waited too long and then my life fell apart and I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> I, was talk- I was talking to somebody. I was, I was talking. I had, a, you know, the man Harvey Danger. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I had I had the guy from that band on the show a while ago and uh we were talking about like regrets that he had had and he said uh his biggest regret as a band was when they uh they were going on uh David Letterman and uh Paul Schaefer asked them if they wanted to perform with the whole late show bands and they said no at the time because they felt like it would be like goofy or selling out and he's mm-hmm. like I have no idea why we made that decision and in hindsight it doesn't make any sense but like when you're younger you have these really 
arbitrary ideas of what totally. would sell like and and maybe I don't know like I could sort of see how web comics would feel like that from the standpoint of like you know when I started writing and I started doing magazine writing this is going to date me and sound so old and stupid now I've already but, stated my age multiple times yeah. so it's fine but but it felt but it felt like if like at the time you know if you would write something I was writing for like spin at the time and if you'd write something and if it would only go on the website it would feel like a failure like versus fake. making yeah. it into the magazine yeah totally yeah, I definitely had like, you know, coming up as like a punky teen, yeah. I had all these like ideas of what my ethics were and like what was the best way to do things. And I thought like doing web comics was somehow like not DIY. Like yeah. it was like it felt more like, I don't know, not modern, but like just not selling out either, but just yeah. wrong. Like I was just like, I want the, you know, the printed thing is like it's important to like keep our roots and have you know printed matter and you yeah. know like screen printed covers and all that stuff and it's like that stuff's great uh but man i got some carpal tunnel from pulling that screen printing thing yeah. across yeah. <laughs> my like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper like you know probably thousands over the years you know like my wrist would be killing me it's just like and then you have a limited amount of people who see your work. You're limited yeah. only to the people that come to the convention, you know, that you're going to and selling the thing at. So it's kind of dumb, you know, like I could have had a much bigger audience earlier and I didn't. So I didn't get them while I could. So I, I, Attitudes around it have obviously <laughs> changed, but the, but there is there is still a certain element of. I mean, so much of, like, the relationships that we built and the friendships and all that community was based around, like, going to a place yeah. at a convention. Totally. And you really needed some sort of printed material in order to participate. Totally. But you can have webcomics and printed material yeah. is the thing that I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> you can print you're, it You're drawing the line in the sand. Online. I was like, no, one yeah. or the other. Like, I'm 22, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm just like... <laughs> This is how we're doing it. <laughs> Just yelling at your age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 again, you've gone like you've gone entirely in the opposite direction. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm just on the internet for yeah. a living. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Are, do, you, do you ever think about do you ever think about what like 22 year old would think about what you're doing now? Uh, yeah. I mean, she'd probably be like, "Wow, insurance. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fair." <laughs> No, yeah, when I was that age also, like, I had, because um, I have asthma, and I had yeah. way worse asthma in my early 20s, because I didn't have, like, I'm on a different medication now, but at that time, I was, like, in the ER semi-frequently, because like, yeah. I would just, you know, be wheezing and stuff, so 22-year-old me would probably be like, oh, you know, I'm glad that you're healthy, yeah. <laughs> and also you have money in an apartment that's just yours, and you have a washer and dryer in your apartment, that's cool. <laughs> it's got to be scary being in, like, your early and mid-30s and realizing all of a sudden, like, oh, I need to do something completely different. Yeah. Like, I've been focusing on a certain skill set for all of my adult life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was rough, but I, you know, I often think when I think about that, I think about my mother who changed her job multiple times throughout my life, mm -hmm. and she, uh, you know, she had to switch up her whole life, you know, a couple of times, and, yeah. you know, she was able to do it, and... Uh, you know, she got remarried when she was 50, you know, like, and I'm like, well, I'm only 37, you know, it's like, <laughs> she like, yeah. she changed her whole life, you know, yeah. so she did it. And I feel like I, I can do it. It always like gives me, you know, some, some level of inspiration to think about, like, it's never too late, you know, yeah. 
Like, but you do. But there's there is a point where when like you're, you're I'm, it I is assume, too late. Well, well <laughs> sure. But, Eighty. Yeah, but but <laughs> even but even before that, when you're sort of like assessing the situation and realizing that like something has to change and that maybe the window is kind of starting to close in a sense, right? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. It's rough, especially when you like went to school for a thing and spent ten years honing your craft, and yeah. then you're like, "Whoops, I missed the boat on yeah. this. Maybe I got to do a different thing." And it sucks, especially because I know a lot of people who are who have been in that boat or are in that boat, and they don't have an interest in anything that would make money. Like I am extremely lucky to enjoy what I do. Like it's a huge rarity that I enjoy it and it makes money. It's like yeah, that's the magic. You know, it's like magic beans or whatever, but real. <laughs> like, That's a good tagline. It's like magic beans, but real. <laughs> yeah, like, they, wow, they yeah. really are magic. Like, this is great. You went to school. You, you you tried out a couple different things, and it was just immediately clear the minute you took that class. that like, oh, this is a thing that I could do for the rest of my life? Yeah, because I really liked – well, it was a little slower because I, I took a couple of math classes because I was prepping for, like, a pre – you know, pre-vet type thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a bunch of math classes and I like loved the math classes. Like they, I was just like, hell yeah, you know, like give me more math. <laughs> so I was that's like. That's a, ra- a rarity <laughs> in cartoonists, I imagine. It's probably like you and like Chris Ware maybe, like math. <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, yeah, so I was like, what can I do with math? Like what can I do that's like this, that um, it will give me money? And like I get the same basic enjoyment out of programming because it's a similar yeah. problem solving, like puzzle solving yeah. kind of thing. Uh, which is funny because I hate puzzles, but I love programming. It's- you have this like really like <laughs> narrow area of things, and and thankfully like every single thing lined up. Yeah, it's like really magic. Yeah, it's, like I'm super lucky. Like I think about it all the time. Like it was uh, almost exactly three years ago that I started at the Flatiron School, which was the boot camp that like launched my actual career and like changed yeah. my whole life and i think about it all the time I'm like man how lucky i am like and how quickly everything happened yeah right? that's a, like most astonishing thing is that like oh now you have a new career now <laughs> yeah. and it's been three years and you've been through two jobs <laughs> yeah i'm on my second job yeah. you know it's like wow and like i've given talks like in other countries like yeah. <laughs> it's wild the talk the talk thing is really interesting too how did you fall into that um, well, I went to a conference, uh, EmberConf, in 2015 uh, with my last job, and the one of the organizers of the conference, who's now my boss, um, came up to the group of us because there were a bunch of women, and she wanted some women. She wanted at least one woman yeah. <laughs> to give uh, a lightning talk because I guess they had only gotten guys. Uh, what what is a lightning talk? It is a five-minute long okay. talk. Um, so none of the other women I was with wanted to do it, or they had already done a talk and they didn't like want to do another one. And you were like, I hosted the Ignats, I could do this. <laughs> I will actually, you know, because I do have a lot of public speaking experience. Yeah. So it's like giving talks. I don't get freaked out about giving talks. Yeah. So uh, I was like. Sure, you know, I'll come up with a five minute talk tonight and give it tomorrow, you know, yeah. like, and I did it and it went off super well. Like, it was, it went off really well. And, uh, I got that great feeling of validation that you get when people come up to you and they're like, I love the thing you just did. Like, yeah. you're great, you know, and yeah. I'm like, I am great. No, not really. But <laughs> it feels good, you know. Uh-huh. It's like it's like what I used to get when I would go to comic conventions and sell books and people would come up and be like, oh, I loved your book. You know, it's like yeah. that's similar. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it right. Um, so I think that high that I got from that um, propelled me to give more talks. So 
the next year I gave a full length talk at the same conference. And then after that, I started giving talks at other conferences, you know, and coming up with other things and, you know, trying to think of interesting ways to, you know, do a talk and something that's like different from what everybody else does. I have to imagine that, you know, in terms of social awkwardness, it's probably as if not more prevalent among programmers. It's like the same world, basically. Like I started in, uh, in the tech world and everyone's like, ah, oh, it's such a sausage fest. There's so many like awkward white yeah. dudes. And I'm like, bro, I've already been there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I already went through that world. Like I'm used to this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seemed like, it seemed like, uh, indie comics was, was kind of changing for the better in yeah. that respect. And maybe actually it was more diverse, I think, than yeah. the programming. Hopefully programming will world. undergo something similar. There's definitely a lot of people out there who are like making more of a point to expose like, women and you know and minorities to this stuff at a younger age yeah totally there's a lot more like all the time people things are happening and it's great and yeah i think tech is moving forward for the better in some ways yeah which is better than not at all so but yeah probably not as fast as it should given no. given recent occurrences i think it's because um there's so much money in tech it makes it yeah. harder for things to move forward because more people are invested in not rocking the boat uh, whereas in comics, it's like, fuck, this pie is so small. Who gives a yeah. shit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess there's a difference of, of being in something purely for the love of it and knowing, like, when you go into SPX or MoCA that you're not in a It's, you know, the difference between, like, Comic-Con and going to a show like that is, you know, probably nobody in this room is here to make a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. No one has, like, as much of an interest. I mean, yeah. there's still politics and infighting and stuff. For sure. Uh, but it's lower, way lower stakes. Yeah. So... It's kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. But with tech, I feel like people have these big egos and, you know, big wallets yeah. and they want to, like, keep their wallets safe. And, you know, it's it's just like you can't offend the guy who, like, even if this guy is, like, harassing people, like, can't offend that guy because he, like, owns whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how money works. <laughs> <laughs> he owns shares of this other company and we can't rock the vote, you know. It's yeah. Like, stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Hopefully you know how money works a little bit better than well, you did 10 years ago. Within a space of like a year or two, you went from studying these programming languages from the first time to to giving a talk about them. Yeah. You, how did you did, how did you summon the confidence to speak about something that you learned about a year ago? Um, well, the thing about uh, conferences is they usually need talks at all levels. Oh, okay. So there's going to be people from every level at the conference. Yeah. So they need a mix usually of people who are beginners, people who are advanced. You know. Depending on the conference, of course. Uh, so I would apply for things that I did know about. Like one of the first talks I gave, the first talk I gave that was full length was about testing in Ember. Um, so I just like, it was basically just a talk for the person I had been the previous year, you know? Yeah. Because actually the first lightning talk that I gave at that first conference was all about how I didn't understand testing in Ember and how confusing it was and how bad the documentation was. Yeah. <laughs> and so I came back the next year to be like, hey guys, I learned it and here yeah. it is. <laughs> I like that. That's, I, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like a form of outsider art. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like... This shit's bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the fuck is. I was talk? so scared because I was like yeah. new to the community, you know, and I yeah. was like, oh man, if I'm going to be up here critiquing things, yeah. everyone's going to hate me. But everyone was like, oh no, right on. Like you're totally right. We need to make it better. How can we make it better? You yeah. know, because um, the Ember community is a great community, so it was fine. What do these one of these talks in, entail? I mean, it's not you're not teaching a course. No, it's like you know, a conference is just like. A bunch of people sitting in a room, someone standing at the front, 
they talk for 30 minutes. Usually the best talks are almost a story. You know, you start with like a problem and then you show how you solved it and then you talk about, you know, lessons learned or whatever. Um, So in my case, I talked about testing at my first talk and it was just like, oh, these are all the different kinds of tests. This is, well, this is like why you should have tests in your Ember application. Uh, You know, you probably have heard of like acceptance tests, integration tests, component tests. Like what's the difference? You know, unit tests like why where would i use a unit test as opposed to an acceptance test and stuff like that and you're you're able to stand up there and talk for 30 minutes now yeah wow i I just did it on saturday yeah i think it was like 20 minutes but still yeah i mean it's one of those things it's you know it's i mean even especially when you're first starting out even five minutes is like a ridiculous amount of time to stand up there yeah now it's hard for me to not go over if i have yeah like i had i did like a 10 minute talk in toronto i think in march and it was really hard. I feel like I had to rush through it because I had to jam all the information yeah. into 10 minutes. Um, but it's cool. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I usually, actually, my um, process is similar to like when I would write comics. I would like write an outline of like, uh, you know, introduction and then middle and then end and then like just expand it slowly and write it out yeah. until I eventually get to a point where I just type out exactly what I'm going to say. And then I like hone that and then I make slides and. You know, so you there are some valuable things that you learn doing comics that you can actually apply to other careers. Totally, that's like the whole reason I'm good at talks is because yeah. I know how to craft a narrative. You know, does that does that sort of thing translate at all to programming? Uh, maybe in communication because communication skills are really important. Uh, I know everyone says that, but it is true in programming. Yes, because uh, so? you do have to work with others. Yeah. And you have to find things out from others, and you have to make sure that you are talking to them in a way that they understand what your question is. I do find it ironic that you you learn communication skills through comics. <laughs> well, because you have to get your point across. Yeah. You know? Like, so yeah. you have to make sure you're not doing things in a confusing way, or you're not like writing it in a confusing way. Yeah. That things are clear and obvious, like what your point is. The, without... the, the constraint, there's like certain constraints of, of the media and like, you you know, word bubbles are only so large and yeah. there's only so much space on a page. Which is similar to real life where you can't just say things to people yeah. like crassly, you know, yeah. like you sometimes you have to be, you have to flower it up a little bit, you know, and not sound like a jerk, you know, mm-hmm. in a simple request, you mm-hmm. know, because it's, it's easy, especially like in this technology world where we are always talking in text it's easy to come across like a jerk yeah so it's it's like probably one of the most important skills is like learning how to ask for something without coming across like a jerk so you you (laughs) so you recently drew your first comic in like five years or yeah it's not exactly a comic i mean it's a talk but it's like the slides are all drawings and like i narrate it like i do voices and stuff and so you're like doing carousel there's a, yeah, there's like a musical montage. And I like yeah. hold my phone up to the thing and like play a song while I'm doing the montage. And you know, I sing a song about boats at one point. And... I, that, I suspect <laughs> that's something I probably would go over very well, you know, versus like a lot of the just kind of straightforward vanilla things people are giving. Yeah, because those talks are great and they all like all the types of talks have a yeah. place, but it's nice to have a variety. And I feel like, yeah. And someone told me at the conference I just was at, like, oh, it was great that your talk was first. It was perfect for like the beginning of the day because it was like light enough, semi technical, but not really. And it's just kind of getting you your mood up for the day. And, you know, I, I that's happened to me a few times the last couple conferences I've been to. I think I've been first or second. And, <laughs> Yeah, it's just funny because people are just always like, oh, it's perfect for the first talk. 
And even though you're the first talk, like you're probably going to be the one that people remember because you have those elements. I have heard that. Yeah. I I won't speak for yeah all the audiences that I've given the talk to, but I have heard from people that it like at least one person said it was my favorite talk ever, which is like pretty wild. So after like physically not being able to draw for for that long, was it hard to get back into it? Uh, it's weird. Well, not that weird. I was lucky because um, the t- the first time I gave this talk that I've been giving, um, it was for a conference organized by the company I currently work for. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had some something of an interest in making sure that I finished it and I did it well. <laughs> so because uh, I'm like representing the company at their conference, um, so they gave they gave me time to draw it on the clock for like a week before the conference. Uh, they allowed me to do it. I was like, I, it just sort of slowly started inching into my work day. Like I would come in really mm-hmm. early and start drawing and drawing and drawing. And then it would be eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And I'd be like, okay, I got to start doing my real job now. And then it just started getting more and more until all day I was drawing. And, and they were like, great. You know, like they didn't tell me not to, they did, you know, they just let me do it. So it, it was good. So you were in a, in a really roundabout way, you were kind of able to overcome that issue you had drawing for other people because that's what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, I wrote it and yeah. I put it together. So it was my thing. But it was like, you know. But you I, were doing work. Technically, you were doing work for a company. Yeah. I mean, I was on the clock yeah. for them, but they didn't like tell me what to do or tell me not to do one thing or another. And they so just they just trusted like, me to do what I wanted to do. It didn't feel like contracting work used to No, no, yeah. not at all. Uh yeah, it wasn't like they were like, draw this thing or do it this way. It was like yeah. they were like, oh, we trust you. Go go ahead. <laughs> and I did, and like it killed, so yeah. they they were happy. <laughs> I suspect part of the reason why you were able to get into it again after not having drawn for so long is is that you had these parameters, you know, that, that were that were set for you. So you had like a clear way forward versus sort of just like staring at a blank piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely helps me to have a deadline and like a mission. Yeah. You know? Like if I don't, then I just won't do it. Like it won't happen. So that's the thing that I do a lot with talks is I'll submit talks for things that I don't know yet. <laughs> and I'll be like, yep, I'm going to give you a talk on this thing. And then like if it gets accepted, I'm like, oh, crap, I got to yeah. learn this thing. And then I just learn the shit out of it and <laughs> give them a talk about it. So that's and these these are like these, these I assume are useful. Yeah. Things, things that, that I want to know for your actual jobs. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, like when I used to do comics, it was like, oh, I would give like a myself a deadline like yeah. oh, i have to get it done by spx or i have to get it done by mocha yeah so like if i don't have that then it's like uh yeah i just flounder does this mean you you might start drawing for yourself again possibly i don't know i kind of want to do more i kind of want to expand on the stuff that i did in the like rust and ruby talk that yeah. i've been giving um because i think there's a book there's a book that was a big inspiration for me when I learned Ruby called Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby. It is like a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, very surreal book about Ruby, kind of. I mean, it is about Ruby, but it's also about a lot of... it's. There's cats, and I don't know. It's, it's uh-huh. weird. Uh, <laughs> there's, like a, there's like a narrative? There is a narrative, yeah. but it's, it's very strange. I think... I forget the URL, but it's online for free. Like yeah. anyone can read it. Um, but why the lucky stiff was a character in the Ruby community before I was a part of it. And he was like, I've watched a lot of videos of his, him giving talks and stuff. And he did these really cool, like 
he did drawings and yeah. he did had like music. It's like stuff that I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Like you can do this and be a programmer. Like you could be kind of a performance artist, you know, and um and like draw stuff and make a graphic novel. Like I would like to do stuff like that, you yeah. know. So um I would like to expand on the talk that I gave and like do some like I would eventually like to do some sort of like graphic novel version of it or like a longer story, you know, that encompasses a lot of the concepts that I talked about in the talk, which is like what wise poignant guide was for Ruby. Like I would like to do that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like there's a little bit of a blurring the lines happening. I know like a few years ago, Scott McCloud did that, um, that Google Chrome book. Did you see that? No. They, when, when, this was actually, I guess, a number of years ago now. But when uh, Chrome first came out, they hired Scott McCloud to put a pamphlet together oh, right. about Chrome. And then I know Bob Skoriak just did the uh, Terms and Conditions book. Oh, he, did you see that one? <laughs> no, he, he illustrated the, the the I think the entirety of Apple's Terms and Conditions. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a very wow. Bob Skoriak thing to do. But you know, between like that and what Scott McCloud has been doing all along with like the understanding comics stuff, like there is there is an interesting opportunity to marry some of that world with the storytelling abilities of, of, of comics, you know, as, as far as like when you, when you first wanted to get a, into coding, you know, you reached for a four dummies book, which I think yeah. is probably something that a lot of people do. But if you're able to, if you not only have the knowledge base of all of that and are able to use a very accessible medium like comics to get that information yeah. across, that could be a really valuable tool for people. Yeah, um, there is actually another programmer I know, uh, Julia Evans, who mm-hmm. does zines about programming concepts. I think she's more sort of systemsy. Like I'm yeah. a web developer, and she yeah. does a lot more like deep stuff. Um, but yeah, like she did a zine I think about Linux and uh, you know like stuff like that and. She's super rad. Like yeah. everyone, whenever she does a talk, like she does, she doesn't, she does like stick figures. Like she doesn't draw super detailed things, but her storytelling is great. Uh-huh. So everyone's just like eats it up because it's so great. And every time I see one of her zines or something, I just get so excited. And it's like that sort of thing is, yeah. you know, we need more of that. Yeah. You know? Do you miss drawing? Uh, Like not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, I like it when I do it. Yeah. But then I always end up stressing myself out because it's always like i'm always like it's easy for me to get like carpal tunnel and then i just end up like when i was drawing 12 hours a day trying to finish my talk or whatever i had uh like an ice pack wrapped around my wrist and i was like trying to do it and it just hurt so much and you know there's not like a it's almost like an addiction like i can't do it casually like it's like (laughs) hard or nothing like there's no there's no like there's no giant (laughs) void in your life now that you're not doing comics no I mean, I can't say there is, which yeah. makes me sad to say, but... Uh, it's sad, but also, like, at the same time, and, and, I, I, like and I hate to life. say this, yeah, and maybe, maybe it's just, <laughs> like, you know, maybe that's kind of a sign. I had somebody tell this to me when I first wanted to be a writer for a living, and I've since told this to uh, my younger cousin wanted to get into journalism, and it's that whole thing of, if you feel like there's anything else you could be happy doing, don't do this. Yeah, exactly. And... You know, I think that you've probably figured out, for better or for worse, that you know that wasn't it wasn't so compelling that you would it would drive you crazy if you stopped doing it. Yeah, exactly. I definitely have friends who can't not draw. Yeah, and I have never been one of those people. Yeah. Like, 
never. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it when it was done the most. Yeah. Like when I looked at it and I was like, wow, I wrote a book, you know, like <laughs> that's a great feeling. That's true. I mean, is there is there anything that gives you that you're doing now that gives you that same sense of accomplishment? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I like every time I, you know, do a talk and I get a lot of like yeah. positive feedback, usually I feel good about it. Um, or like I did my boss and my coworker. Uh, recently came out with this uh, thing called Helix, which is like a combination of Ruby and Ru- it, it's. I'm not even gonna go into it, but <laughs> I did a, a, some illustrations for the website for yeah. that. And like when it went up, I was like, "Yeah, I did the illustrations," and it was like, I feel like it just gave the website a lot yeah. more character, and like it made it a lot more fun and accessible. And you know, that's kind of like the kind of programming community that I want to be part of. Yeah. You know, friendly and, you know, welcoming. And I was able to be part of creating illustrations that would make this project welcoming and friendly. So if it was just text, it wouldn't, it would just be like, oh, maybe, I don't know. You know, I could see beginners going to the website and being like, I don't know, like, this seems hard. But, oh, there's like a big picture of a Ruby high-fiving the Rust logo. Maybe it'll be fine. Even outside of the talks, you are able to sort of use some of those skills, some of your illustration skills. Yeah, yeah, I have been able to somewhat, um, a little bit, mostly because my boss was told me and my coworker invited. He was like, "You guys just build a build the Helix website," and we yeah. were like, "Cool." Any parameters? Nope. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's nice when people trust you at work. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so we just built the whole website. And I just yeah. drew a bunch of pictures. Scan. I didn't even. I was just like, "Is it cool if I draw stuff?" And he's like, "Even better." <laughs> so in comics, the whole goal is to just kind of put out a book. Where you're at, what you're doing, you know, what is it? Is it just kind of working on these bigger projects for the companies? It's kind of like a constant. I don't know. A constant desire to get better. Yeah. Or learn a new thing, like. With programming, there's always some new thing to learn. There's always something that I want to know. And even the people I know who are super experienced and super smart geniuses, even those people are like, oh, I don't know about X, Y, Z. Like, I really want to learn about that. And that's like their next thing. And I don't know. It just feels like a never-ending school. Like, I I always really liked school. So it's just like constantly like school. Like, there's always something new. I guess it attracts a certain type of like, like intellectually curious yeah. sort of person where it's not the kind of job where, and I think this probably applies to most jobs that most people have where they just kind of do their thing and yeah yeah with programming it's like at least the job that I have and the one I had before it's not the kind of thing where you can really just sit and be like yeah I'm just gonna do my thing yeah. like you kind of have to have a little bit at least a slight amount of drive to constantly improve and get better and learn and that's helpful and I find that a motivating factor like, just wanting to always be better. Again, like, looking at 18-year-old, 22-year-old version of yourself, you know, do you, given the chance to do it over, would you have done comics or would you have just launched into what you're doing now? Uh, I think I would have done things almost the same. Uh-huh. Like, I don't... That's good. That's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think... Because that's, that's what I wanted to do then, yeah. you know, and, like, that's what I was about and that was the world I lived in. Yeah. So it was, like, that's what I wanted. And I don't think I was ready... You know, even though my grandfather was like, when I was like 15, 16, he was like, this is stupid. Why are you doing this yeah. art thing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's what I wanted to do. And like, I was good at math, but I didn't want to go to school. Like, I didn't want to go to class. It wasn't until I was older, you know, like, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like early 30s that I was like, all right, I'm ready to like sit down and learn math, you know? I mean, that's a really good way of, of looking thing at things. Cause yeah, I think that that's the, 
problem that people run into when they talk about what they regretted in the past is that they're transferring their current self into that yeah. place. And no, like probably totally as an 18 year old, you couldn't have sat down and taken all these programming classes. No way. <laughs> no way. When I was 18, I was yeah. like, I don't know, where's the beer? I'll draw some comics on a napkin. It's fine. You know, like that was my career. My, yeah. <laughs> I was like known for drawing my friends on napkins in the bar, yeah. you know, was, that was fun. You know, I, I don't think that I would have, if you had put me in front of a computer and like been like, all right, time to make a website. I'd yeah. be like, you know, I don't want to do this. You would have resented it pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Also because it was like something, just doing that sort of thing was just something that was pushed so hard on me when I was yeah. younger that I was just kind of like, no, you know, just impetuous. Yeah. Just, I don't want to do the thing that you told me to do, even if I like it. I don't care. Yeah. There you go. That was Liz Bailey. Uh, we started hanging around the New York indie comic scene right around the same time. And I'd say for the past five or so years, a lot of our contemporaries have slowly started moving away from comics, and she was a part of that. Uh, comics are really hard, as we discussed in that conversation. It's it's a really hard place to actually make a living, particularly in alternative and, and indie comics, and especially hard when you're trying to be a full-time cartoonist and live in New York City. Uh, I... I just I just don't know many people who have been able to do it. I was pretty bummed when she moved away from comics. I, I really, really liked her work. Uh, she did a series called My Brain Hurts, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, but, it, you know, it's nice to see her kind of find a, a second career and, 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 and fall into something that she really, really enjoys. I think she's found quite a bit of success and quite quickly in the world of coding, so I'm glad that we had an opportunity to, to catch up and talk about that. Uh, you can follow her over on Twitter. I'm going to say that's the best way to get in touch with her. It's at underscore L Bailey, B-A-I-L-L-I-E. Uh, from the looks of it, a lot of, uh, a lot of dog photos. So, Plenty of good reasons to follow her over there. Uh, thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, please consider rating us over on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you get any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L-related information. Like us on Facebook, and I, I think that's about all I got for this week, so stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L.